right, hello everyone, and welcome back to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. I am your uh, main host, Colin, coming back at you this week amidst some crazy times, but we're still going. Uh, <laughs> and joining me also amidst these crazy times is Kristen. Hello, welcome back. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> so, folks, just a quick news update to let you know uh, we got some pretty exciting news. Uh, just two days ago, if you have not seen, we are going to be getting some more Avatar graphic novel content. And this time around, we are getting a Katara standalone graphic novel. Uh, this is not going to be something that's going to be in multi part like we see with imbalance or uh the other avatar comics or in legend of korra this is going to be a singular story taking place between uh i believe they said sometime during uh book two or maybe between book two and book three um so uh (laughs) as i get a message from kristen that says boo tough comic (laughs) a real slap in the face for you because you you love tough and you hate katara (laughs) (laughs) But uh, what's really exciting is that this uh, graphic novel is going to be from the same team that did the Imbalance uh, trilogy. So that was uh, Faith Aaron Hicks as the writer and Peter Wartman as the artist. And personally, I am so thrilled that we are getting the two of them back for another round because I absolutely loved what they did uh, with imbalance. Uh, and, uh, if you're interested in that, uh, Fran and I, uh, also did a three part series on that. If you haven't checked that out, go listen to it. I, I know we kind of talked a little bit about, um, you know, just how we were kind of feeling before we were kind of getting on air, but, um, you know, I, I just wanted to check in and I feel like also hearing other people this week and hearing what they have had to say about how they are feeling, has helped me a great deal. So I don't know. I just wanted to check in with you if you're cool with kind of sharing uh, some of the things you've been feeling and how you're doing and how you're, uh, uh, what you're doing with your quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, like I said, it's uh, it, it's been hard. I, you know, as somebody who does wildlife stuff and, and, and nature and all these things, like I'm used to going to parks, being outdoors, you know, I, I've never been confined like this unless I've actually been physically debilitated by a sickness. So it's really weird to be healthy and confined like this. And it's largely because, at least in my mind, I think a big a big part of it is because there is nothing stopping me. I'm not like under house arrest. I'm not, you know, I don't, I, I'm not physically sick or debilitated. And so I think that's the most frustrating part is it's, it's that moral barrier of, and especially I've got a neighbor two houses down that we we check in with every once in a while. She has a little uh, whiteboard on her front door uh, that she leaves for like FedEx and stuff because she she's she she can't leave her house. She's immune compromised. She's very elderly. Uh, she doesn't have a lot she can do. Um, and I just and Barry and I told her uh, if she ever needs anything to please feel free to write it on that board and we will check that board periodically. And if she's missing things like necessities, cause we have, uh, uh, backup gallons of water, some extra toilet paper, some extra, extra hygienics and she has cats and we have spare litter. And so I told her, uh, you know, to 
reach out if she needed anything. Um, but you know, because I have been at risk to possibly have been exposed to somebody that could have contracted COVID, I haven't tested positive and I'm asymptomatic, but because it has proven to be something that people can carry without symptom, I can't afford to jeopardize people like my neighbor. And so it's, I know I'm doing the right thing, but it's really hard. I want to be outside, mm. especially yesterday. Yesterday was beautiful in Baltimore <laughs> and I am two blocks away from the second largest park in Baltimore. And it's, it's a beautiful place. I love walking there and seeing the birds, seeing the snapping turtles and the frogs and all that stuff. And I have zero access to it. So, I mean, I, I, definitely going slightly stir crazy. <laughs> uh, we've actually, I've, I've, I've kind of reached this point. So we were watching Bob Ross earlier and Bob Ross, you know, has that very calming personality, mm. very nice guy, but I, I, I'm watching him make these paintings and I'm, I'm seeing like this picture perfect painting and he's got like these beautiful whimsical clouds. And then like towards the very end, just out of nowhere, he puts this giant tree that covers the cloud. And I'm like, Bob, Bob, what are you doing? It was perfect. That was the most <laughs> beautiful cloud I've ever seen. Bob, you murdered that. You murdered that cloud. And just like freaking out over these little things. <laughs> and I think it's a symptom of being trapped inside is I have so much in me that I can't put out there and I'm stuck screaming at Bob Ross on the TV instead. <laughs> so that's my week. How are you doing, Colin? Uh, I, I'm also doing all right. Uh, I mean, I am still uh, going to work um, and uh, still uh, out and about um, dealing sometimes with people that are not uh, taking it seriously. That's the very frustrating part. Um, and I mean, it goes without saying, uh, folks, I mean, it's pretty serious. We want to make sure we can do our part. Um, and I don't want to dwell too long on it. Obviously it's been tough and I have been feeling stressed, but I got to say that between doing this podcast and I started streaming on Twitch, uh, just kind of like different games and stuff, um, between those things and, like video games and movies with my wife, it's it's really helped me get through a lot of this. And uh, I, you know, we got. I just also wanted to give a uh, quick shout out to um, one of our followers on Instagram, um, uh, Paulina uh, Bemu. I'm sorry if I am butchering your name, <laughs> but uh, she left us such a wonderful comment uh, about our last episode. And I have to tell you, I read that comment while I was at work. I was really stressed out. And then I read that comment and it almost made me start to cry <laughs> because I'm like, it was so sweet. <laughs> and I just, it was being in a stressful place and then seeing that and seeing that it made a positive impact um, for you is just that, that made my day. Um, and, and for any of the folks, if it's helping you out, that is all we're hoping to do with this. That's what we're trying to do, trying to keep things light, trying to, you know, uh, as uh, Saka says in the episode uh, <laughs> that we'll be discussing today, and uh, I believe it's Late Glau Guy, it's all right. I still got my positive attitude. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that whole thing of Sokka during that episode is a lot of us during this whole thing. Oh my God, yes. I'm definitely feeling Sokka vibes. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Um, 
All right. Well, I, uh, I, I hope that felt good for you getting that out. Kristen did for me. Um, but you know what's going to feel even better? Talking about our girl Toph. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So, this is always therapeutic. Yes. Uh, so, folks, this is part two of our Toph Beifong deep dive. Um, so if you haven't listened to part one, uh, be sure to tune into that. Um, of course, you can find it on our website or in our feed on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, but that kind of gives you a little heads up as to where we started. We're kind of going chronologically to start. Uh, after this episode, we're going to kind of uh, venture into some different formats with it. But for right now, we're going to kind of wrap up uh, all of book two today. So some of the things that we are focusing on in this series. First and foremost is Toph as the greatest earthbender alive um, and of all time. Uh, Second is Toph as the daughter of a wealthy family. Um, And third is Toph as a teacher, uh, an instructor for Aang, and then eventually in the comics, an instructor for her metal bending students. And uh, we're going to get into some really exciting stuff today. Um, so first to start off, uh, I just want to get uh, just a quick thing from you, Kristen. A- after we kind of did our initial episode, uh, what are you most excited about kind of going into this, like these last episodes here of book two uh, after we kind of were discussing uh, Toph last week? The Guru. (laughs) The Guru episode is one of my favorite episodes. Um, And obviously we're going to talk a bit about it, but it just, it, it really helps demonstrate her tenacity. Like she does not let anything stop her. She is stubborn as a rock. Um, And it's, it's incredible to see her overcoming these barriers because she is really such a powerful character in the sense of, you know, and and as we discussed before, it can be a flaw of hers being so unmoving, but at the same time, this is how she prevents people from walking all over her and taking advantage of her is just that very headstrong attitude she has. It's so well demonstrated in the guru, and I am so excited to talk about that. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, I'm also very excited. I mean, this this is one of the biggest kind of uh tough moments coming up here but um all right so to uh kind of pick up where we left off uh, the episode um that we were on next is the serpent's pass uh, so we're going to be talking about first kind of the serpent's pass and the drill together um so one of the things that we have been focusing on as we kind of go through these different episodes talking about as we are introduced to Toph in this her first season here is what is revealed about her with each of these episodes. So some of the things that are revealed in these two episodes uh, are a few things. (laughs) First is that Toph is not a fan of water. (laughs) Um, Second is that uh, she has a crush on Sokka that we learn about. Uh, This is the first that we get get to really see of this. Um, And third is that she feels that she's kind of no help around metal. Uh, This is kind of the first time that uh, she comes toe to toe with metal. Obviously, when she gets trapped in the blind bandit, she gets trapped in a metal box. But this is something that is legitimately more than she can handle, and that's what we kind of want to get into with these. Um, so, uh, first and foremost, in the serpent's pass, uh, 
we get to see a lot of her putting her faith in others as they navigate the pass. Obviously, because this is kind of treacherous terrain, there's water on both sides. There's a lot of stuff where, you know, Toph has to kind of rely on uh, the sight of her traveling companions. And I just thought it was really interesting that we get to see her uh, kind of willing to open up like that. Um, But of course, during their travels and when they end up having to fight uh, the serpent of the serpent's pass... Uh, things go south, she gets thrown into the water, and she calls out for help and is rescued by who she thinks at first is Sokka and gives him a kiss on the cheek, but then it's Suki. And we get such a great moment where she's like, you can let me drown now. (laughs) Oh, that poor girl. Like, it's, I felt so bad for her in that moment for two reasons. One, I love Sokka. She can do better, though. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> My girl Toph is top shelf. I mean, I get it. It's her first time away from home. It, you know, Aang is not really... I mean, I could easily see how Aang's not her type. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not hard to identify. Um, so I, I get that the only other person that she's being exposed to is Sokka, you know, assuming that she's hetero. Um, so I get it. Uh, but at the same time, girl... There's so many fish in the sea. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, obviously she does explore that sea later in life. And it's just, it was really weird in that moment when I saw that. Because I was sitting here like, uh, you know, I would, I don't feel like Sokka could handle that. He can't handle that level of tough. And Suki handles that beautifully. I love Suki's character a lot. She really didn't get enough in the series, in my opinion. I felt like she would have been a really... I would have replaced Katara on the team with Suki, if I'm being completely honest. If we wanted a strong female leadership figure in the series, I really like Suki and the idea of her being a leader. Uh, So I always love seeing her, and I thought that she handled that really well. She wasn't obviously trying to, like, rub it in or make Toph feel bad, and she didn't, like, react really strongly. She's just like, it's me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, Suki is great like that you know let's let's be honest she is she's uh she's she's good <laughs> she really is I, I love her so much especially in the next season um the prison break oh my oh, god oh my gosh choice suki yes um so you know obviously this is like kind of just a nice little like moment but you know it, it was a big moment for opening up the like the taka ship that really started being thrown around because, you know, of course we have, we have our Zutarians, we have our Katangs, and then, you know, here comes Taka, uh, you know, coming into the end of book two as, uh, you know, we see that. Uh, <laughs> I, I would, I would jump off that ship. <laughs> I, I would, I would jump off that ship. Yes. No, <laughs> you uh, f- people who did that should feel bad about yourself. <laughs> Whoa, whoa now. Hey, you know what? Live your ship. You know, it's okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, the Serpent's Pass, you know, that's for the most part, that's kind of like what we get uh, from Toph, not too much. Um, it's more of a uh, kind of like uh, Sokka and Aang focused episode in that. Um, but then we get to the drill. This episode, of course, is all about the Fire Nation 
using this massive mechanical war machine to pierce through the wall of Bossing Say. And the gang who was ready to just be like, okay, we made it past the Serpent's Pass. We got out of the desert. We have been through ordeal after ordeal. Can we please just get to the safety and security of a city? No, there is a massive drill that is going to upend the entirety of that security. (laughs) It makes me think of when they come back to Omashu uh, the second time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's literally that moment where they're feeling hopeful and upbeat about it. They're like, oh, we've reached our next destination. And then it's like, psych, Fire Nation guys, you got to deal with it. Yeah, I think that that's very much just a running theme of book two. It's this idea that uh, even though we have the romps of, like, and they're kind of traveling like they are in book one, book two, a lot of it is this constant reminder that the Earth Kingdom is like that is where the war is happening and it is always in the back of like, it's always reminded uh, they always remind the viewers of that periodically throughout the season. You may think that's like, all right, we're, we're fine now, but then nope comes back. Um, But of course for Toph, I mean, you know, she's along with the gang. She's going to do her part. That's not her main concern. I would say. (laughs) So the, what we kind of got going on here in the drill is that first Toph gives them some cover. Uh, she makes a massive dust cloud uh, for the gang to be able to uh, approach the drill after they spoke with uh, the general on the wall who is like freaking out and is like abandoning all hope and everything. But, or no, he actually, he's the one who's like, oh, this, this is fine. There's no way they can make their way in here. <laughs> he's like not panicked at all. Um, but you know, they, uh, they're able to get to the drill after Toph makes this. And I love that. It's just like Toph really showcases the, uh, what you can do differently with earthbending. And it's just like, all right, I'm going to kick up a massive dust cloud with my earthbending. So much of what we had seen of earthbending was, physical attacks or in the case of like in the desert sand benders you know being able to uh do things with sand there but now it's like i we just get to see her adapting she's taking elements from something that i would say reminisces of is reminiscent of the desert and i think that that's like part of this whole thing of toff incorporating her failure and her different shortcomings and finding a way to improve on it. Absolutely. And I think that another big thing too for her is I think Toph understands how much her disability affects other people in the sense of if people who normally can see lose their vision, they are at a severe disadvantage. You know, she has the advantage of, you know, never having seen before. So I imagine things like her hearing and stuff are all increased. And then of course there's the way she uses her earthbending. And I think that she also understands that to bring people down to her level puts them at a huge disadvantage and puts her at the advantage. And so it seems only natural that her instinct would be to do something like blind everybody else so they can't see what she's doing Mm, definitely so when they get to the drill though um that's when 
they run into the issue of how we're going to stop this thing. And over the course of the rest of this episode, it is Aang, Katara, and Sokka inside the drill trying to find a way to stop it while Toph is continually just uh, bringing up these massive earthen pillars to try and stop the drill from moving forward. But it is just relentless. It is a... And I, I think it's just, it's this interesting moment where, you know, in the desert, we saw Toph out of her element, unable to really bend the sand, and that's why she wasn't able to help save Appa. Now, she needs to try to stop this thing from reaching the wall, but this is legitimately something that is beyond her power. And I love that we get to see that, again, as one of these power checks, um, and also just how she is just relentless and so determined to still try to stop it, even though she feels like she can't really do as much uh, with it. Yeah. And it's also metal too, which, you know, currently is a disadvantage for her. And I mean, the sheer size of it, I mean, I couldn't imagine trying to stop a regular car. This thing's like, this thing's like, what, like 10 it's like a land submarine. It's just massive. Yeah. It is so huge, especially when you see the inside of it. It really kind of gives you to scale, like how tiny everybody is compared <laughs> to the drill itself. Like the, it's made of metal. The sheer size of it, it is absolutely immense. And the way it's designed too, when you watch the mechanics of how it's moving, um, it's got very steady movement that it, as it progresses forward it's not like somebody who's walking and if you take off one leg it's off balance it's all on the ground and it's using very a very specific form of motion that is you know like you said earlier it's relentless it makes me think of things like caterpillars with all their little legs and as soon as the front legs are finally like they kind of start from the back and move their way forward and once the front legs come up the back legs are already scooching up and mm. so it has this forward progression that is just it just keeps going and it it i don't think anybody i don't think if you i mean obviously the earthbending uh, soldiers on the wall can stop it, even though it was kind of stupid. They were l- largely just throwing rocks at it. It's like, <laughs> what, what? Why was this your solution, you idiots? Yeah. <laughs> like Toph obviously had a much more reasonable approach. I think if she, I think the closest they could have gotten to stopping it is if they could have gotten earthbenders all around it to simply just drop it down into the earth. And even still, it might have still just been able to drill from underground. I don't know how they get out, but. It's just one of those things where this was really made to be unstoppable, and I can't really fault Toph for not being able to stop it, considering she is this tiny little girl, and this thing's literally is, like, huge. Like, I think of, like, some of those big warships we have, where there's multiple levels and people can live in it and stuff. Like, this thing's massive. Wow. Yeah. It's it's insane. So, uh, you know, they're able to, uh, you know, make a difference, of course, by uh, taking down some of the uh, kind of structured supports on the inside. And then a a kind of team up moment between Toph and Katara at the end uh, is able to uh, basically stop the slurry uh, from exiting out the back, which uh, kind of uh, exacerbates the pressure inside of the machine and causes it to essentially implode in a way so the gang has a victory 
But then they get to Ba Sing Se. And we get into the episode of the City of Walls and Secrets. This episode is absolutely fascinating. I believe that it was one of the ones that uh, won a uh, daytime Emmy, maybe? I can't remember what the uh, like award was, but I know that it got a lot of critical acclaim, and rightfully so. Um, so what is revealed about Toph in this episode is that we get to see that Toph truly understands the inner workings of high society. Um, she is kind of their guide and the only reason that they do not completely botch the like meeting with the earth king i mean they still botch it but that's just not really her fault but <laughs> for at least getting them through the door that's all on her um and then we also get to see that she is not a fan of the political and societal structuring of bossing say immediately as the gang goes into the city ang katara and sokka are just awestruck about it and Toph is could not care less she is just like meh <laughs> but so much of what she uh doesn't like about it is the kind of disparity between the different rings how in the lower rings you just have a lot more uh just it's like Basically, the poor and the destitute are shoved into the lower ring, while the super wealthy are in the upper ring. And it's this separation, and it is a physical manifestation of the caste system in this city. And I think that Toph is just not about that life at all. I agree. I think Toph is all about that, like, hobo life. But at the same time, like, (laughs) she understands that there's a difference between, like huffing it on the road and taking care of yourself and being poor and oppressed. Like those are two completely different things. You can live a very simplistic, rustic lifestyle that seems poor, but you're, you have a level of security versus people who are forcibly in these situations. And it is really interesting that she recognizes this because I imagine to a certain extent, uh, she didn't get exposed to it until she started joining the uh, earthbending arena. Um, I imagine that her getting out on her own and doing more of this stuff is what led to this exposure. And so it's one of those things that makes me curious about, you know, how she was introduced to different levels of society. Because if you think about it, she can't see things very well. Um, I don't know what the distance is on her vision sometimes, uh, as far as the earthbending vision goes, her seismic senses. But, you know, would she be able to detect from her home before she was let out the differences between, like, this nicer structured place that has probably very nice buildings with sound structure versus like as you get further and further away from the city and people start living in more of things like shacks and things like that it it makes me curious how she experiences these levels of poverty since she can't actually see them uh and especially since she seems to also have the ability to detect some things about people physically to a certain degree which we see later on with like lying and and jet like there's things that she can obviously detect about people's uh, physical form to a certain degree, but I wonder what the limitations of that are. 
and how well she can identify with, you know, somebody who has good upright posture and had a good upbringing versus people who may be more slouched and more uh, worn by life. Uh, it's one of those things that we don't really get to explore, to be fair. She isn't technically like the main character. So <laughs> I, have I know to you live. wish she was. <laughs> oh, my God. It should have been her all along. Aang should have been the side character. Ugh. But it, it, but it, I would have I, I would have loved that, though. I would love the idea of like a, a mini series spinoff of just like how to explore the world through these different senses because it is a very curious thing. She ha- she has a lot of comments in this episode and it's easy to dismiss it as, well, she was well-to-do being brought up, so of course she understands the upper echelons. But it's not her commentary about the upper echelons, it's her commentary towards the people in like the lower rings that make me wonder uh, how much she recognizes these differences based on her personal experiences with people like this. Because I imagine plenty of poor people went to this uh, Earth Rumble you know, what better way to distract yourself from being oppressed than to go see something that's entertaining and, you know, exciting. It makes perfect sense. I mean, we do it all the time in our society. So I, it's one of those things I wish we could have explored more. I think it would have been a, a really fun way to experience the world literally through Toss eyes in a sense. Yeah. It, it, I think it's interesting that in this case, uh, the way that I think I would see it is that I think what we were talking about last episode, this idea that when you lose one sense, the others are heightened. I think in this case, it is that difference would be highlighted in her sense of hearing and sense of smell, because those are two things that could immediately tip you off as to where someone falls in society. Clearly, if you're on the lower rungs and you're poor and in this type of world, you're not going to have access to a bath as much as someone who is going to be in high society in the upper ring of bossing, say. So immediately, smell is going to be different. Secondly, the way and the cadence that people talk, the way that, you know, it's it can be more uh, formal from the upper rings and more about kind of uh shaded comments or veiled uh insults and things like that whereas i would say that you know for the lower rings of society i mean more direct more brash and just more to the point because they're not trying to impress anyone they're just trying to survive and that's personally why i think like where she would be able to kind of tell the difference between them they she could tell who the swamp vendors are from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, can you imagine her going to the swamp for the first time too? Oh my God. I imagine those were her people. <laughs> like very simple, straightforward people just living simply. No, you know, like, like we're pointing out, like these are the, th- the things that she's experiencing in the upper rings of Bossing say represent everything she hates. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, it's no wonder she went to the swamp. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story we really need. I know we would want to see something about her, like figuring out, like you know, what she thinks of different rungs of society. But you know what? We need post uh, Republic City Toff going to the swamp story. We need that. Yes, journey. <laughs> yes. I want it so bad now. So, obviously, Toff's got some issues with the different layers of bossing. Say. 
Um, and but doesn't mean that she doesn't know how to uh, play the system uh, because we quickly get to see that uh, they're not going to be able to get to see the Earth King. Uh, Judy tells them that uh, it's going to take a while for their request to be processed. Um, and Toph is just like, all right, look, we, you know, there's a ball that's going to be where the Earth King is. Apparently it's celebrating his his pet bear. Surely you mean platypus bear. <laughs> God, that scene is so iconic. <laughs> it really is. And it, it, I love that moment so much too. Just the confusion of like, it just says bear. Like they're just so lost. And it's, I should have brought that up when I did that animal episode too, because it really, it really was one of those really bizarre moments where it, it, it almost sort of broke the fourth wall in a way, but reverse breaking the fourth wall <laughs> i don't know how to explain it but it was just really weird and everybody's just like what the, what the hell's going on with <laughs> yes uh, i loved it so much uh but toff is like hey look i can get us in there and ang and uh soccer just like all right and she's like you wouldn't pass for bus boys <laughs> so uh toff decides uh look we're going to be able to uh to get in uh to get in we'll, we'll be fine toff is like look we're going to go undercover and toff proceeds to uh step to the side with katara as uh they don some fancy clothes some fancy makeup and some fancy accessories and they uh come out and ang is just like Ugh! <laughs> but uh immediately like as katara is gonna like say something to them toff is just like don't speak to the commoners katara <laughs> <laughs> that's such a brilliant line like that whole scene was perfect like you said ang's reaction it's like it's one of those moments where we're all like all oh, right hashtag still 12 years old <laughs> like of course and then toff just without missing a beat just shutting it down. I loved her so much and how much she just kind of railed on them. And it was, oh, she's such a classic person. Yeah. And just like slipping into this persona, like so easily too. <laughs> like she, she, a minute ago, she was like, just like picking her nose and it's just like, it's like, <laughs> okay. But then she's just like suddenly living in her fine layer of earth. Lady Bayfong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they go to the party. Um, Toph, uh, when they are at the door, they're like, where's your invitation? And then she just whips out this like seal of the Beifong family, starts listing off some names and how they're going to be really upset that they're not going to see them. And, you know, at first, like the guard's just like, yeah, you need an invitation. But then she is able to kind of play Long Fang. Uh, as uh, she is just looking uh, to reunite with her family on the inside. Um, and it's this beautiful moment that, you know, she just is thinking on her feet, problem solving, and just the main objective is to get in the door. Um, and I love how she is able to kind of make that happen. However, uh, after they get in and uh, Aang decides to make his entrance after uh, some mishaps, they are pulled aside by Long Fang. And this is where we get to kind of see the truth of what is going on 
with Long Fang. And what has happened here in Ba Sing Se? As Long Fang is kind of talking about how he is the cultural minister and the top advisor to the Earth King and should not be concerned with such political squabbles as the war with the Fire Nation, Toph immediately is the first one to basically call him out and say, he's your puppet. And I love that Toph is the one to notice this and to call it out immediately. Everything that she hates about, uh, again, as we said earlier, the political structuring of Ba Sing Se, it is distilled down into Long Fang, and she is not having it. And it's just, it's classic her too, because it's not like nice, quiet, you know, composed. It, she is shouting at him that he, that the, the Earth King is his puppet. Like, you can see how upset she is about it. And like like you said, this is obviously something that is very representative of things that she hates, you know? She hates authority. She hates the, the, the mechanisms of all these people. Uh, and their manipulations of systems to take advantage of others and things like that. It, it's just, you know, as somebody who's very straightforward, faces things head on, all this manipulation is, is it's not beyond her to understand. She understands it and she hates it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's not like somebody who is angry because they're just now finding out that they've been manipulated. She's somebody who understands exactly what's going on and and hates it because she knows she, she has been exposed to this world. And it, it's one of the reasons why I love her too, because a a really common conversation a lot of us are having nowadays is if you are privileged enough to understand these things and to know what's going on, you need to speak up on behalf of others that can't do it themselves. Mm. And Toph epitomizes that for me. If you leave Toph to her own devices, she will tear those systems down. (laughs) (laughs) She is absolutely my rebel, the girl who is going to speak up. And she's not necessarily going out of her way to be a martyr. She's not necessarily, you know, this perfectly selfless individual. She is, in fact, quite selfish. But when put in a situation where she can see and recognize these issues, she will call them out and chances are at some point she will do something about it. She may not be able to always do things immediately. Like in this case, obviously there wasn't a lot that they could do in this moment, but she does get hers in the end. And that's one of the things I love about her is she's not that perfect martyr that we see in revolutions and rebellions, but neither is she necessarily apathetic. She, what I think makes her relatable is she can be that person who kind of meets in the middle. She's a person that largely wants to keep to herself and live her life the way she wants, which everybody wants to do. But at the same time, when she's able to use her privilege, she's doing it for others. She didn't Mm. attend this party because she wanted to go to a party. Toph hates parties. She's doing this because she's trying to help her friends and she's trying to help find Appa. So, for all of her, you know, stubbornness and selfishness, uh, at the end of the day, Toph at her core is a good person who wants to do good things. Um, and so she can put aside her desi- her desires to be selfish and to live her life the way she wants 
in order to meet the needs of others, which is something that she's really growing into, too. Because that was, of course, the very first issue we had with her, especially when they were running from Missoula, yeah. <laughs> is she was too selfish. But this kind of helps demonstrate how she's moving away from that. And she's uh, conforming more into the party as she discovers that being a friend doesn't mean that people simply have to accept you as you are. It also means that you need to respect other people and help them out too, or else you're not really friends. And I think she's starting to learn some of these lessons that people can accept her, but if she wants to have these friends and enjoy the benefits of these friends, she's got to help her friends out. She's doing that. And also I think a little bit of that rebels coming out that in the long run of Toss life, uh, helps her do some other really incredible things as well. Absolutely. It's, it's really exciting. <laughs> I This is a really good episode. Actually, I hadn't really thought of this until I just started talking, but this is a really good episode for Tough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it, yeah, and li- like you said, I mean, it, 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 that was such a great way of uh, kind of articulating how, like, Toph approaches that and, like, the way that her... I, I love the point that you brought up that her ideology is kind of changing and as you said conforming as she is around Aang, Sokka and Katara and I think that that's the effect that they have as a group again because they're such a tight-knit group they look out for each other and is nothing but love and trust it's something that it's pretty easy to fall into because Toph quickly kind of goes through the trial of the chase and bitter work and then you know She's she's there with them. They have their their bumps along the way, but still, it's uh she's making improvements. So that brings us to the tales of Bossing Say. Um, the uh main one that we're going to be talking about here, of course, is the tale of Toph and Katara. So what is revealed about Toph in this tale? <laughs> one is that she does not prioritize hygiene. <laughs> Um, secondly is that she isn't a big fan of the girly things like a spa day, at least at first. Um, and we see her confidence shaken for a moment after being vulnerable. Um, it's something that we really get to see a very, very, uh, vulnerable exposed moment for Toph. So this tale of Toph and Katara is them, uh, getting a little R and R, uh, Katara convinces Toph to join her for uh, basically a spa day. And it's really nice because we get to see a little bit of, you know, Katara and Toph bonding as uh, these kind of two very opposite characters, as we said last episode, <laughs> the, fo- the foils that they are. Uh, but we get to kind of see them meet in the middle. <laughs> a little bit. Just, 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 uh, just a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Like, she's got to deal with Katara. Like, it's not a bad thing for her and Katara to get along she's on a team. Deal but with Katara. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I have to deal with Katara in order to watch the series, too. I get it. I feel Toph's pain. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, my God. I've got two things to say about this. One, Toph probably has an amazing immune system. This girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the thing she's probably been exposed to. Even as a rich girl, but then again... Like, I'm sitting here thinking, like, she went to Earth Rumble. There was all those, like, ugh, just the way she handles herself. I'm just sitting here looking at it like Toph could probably survive the plague. Let's just be real. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> Her and that dirt coating. Yep. Uh, 
and I mentioned this in the last episode, but I mean, now that we're talking about it, I really want to kind of, again, point out just like before, like in the last episode where uh, we just talked about Long Feng and how it kind of helps display the complexity of her character that her, she doesn't have black and white morals necessarily, even though that's how she presents herself. Uh, same thing in here. Like you said, she isn't a big fan of girly things at first, but we do see her trying it out and be and you know, even with the last episode too, where she had dolled up for the event, she's obviously capable of it and she's not necessarily uncomfortable. Like it may not be her preference, but she doesn't seem uncomfortable with it either, which again, like people pl- paint her so black and white and I get it. I do it all the time too when I talk about her sometimes because I admire some of that those really strong characteristics, but this really showcases her complexity that she's not just this straightforward person that you can read on a dime as you learn about her. She really is a very rich character who has a lot of gray areas. So for all of her talk of, you know, taking things head on, uh, when we slow down and we take a moment to really look at her, um, that's not quite how she is. I mean, no human really is for the most part. Very few people are as black and white as they present themselves. And Toph is no different. And I do, I do like the episode with the two of them, largely because (laughs) they it does allow them to explore each other. Both characters are a little bit more enriched from our perspective. You see Katara. Well, I guess we kind of know Katara is like the protective mother type. So it's not really surprising the way she acts for the most part. Um, but it does allow us to explore Toph a little bit better. And it allows us to explore a part of Toph that we don't associate with her either, which Mm. is important. It's really important to see these different aspects of her because this is how we relate to characters and this is how we develop strong feelings. Because I don't think the writers wrote Katara poorly. I don't think Katara is a bad character. The fact that I dislike Katara as much as I do shows (laughs) that she was written really well because they developed a character who I strongly dislike not and you can dislike a character because they were written poorly but i dislike her because she is on i am tough in real life for the most part and katara is so far from a, a type of person that i feel any connection with so you know it is really important for us to see these dynamics and these different dimensions of these characters because it allows us to feel things whether it's Toph, katara azula Ty Lee, when she talks about being called a circus freak and we all feel really bad for her, like the way that these characters are being written and presented really helps us create better connections and better empathy for these characters. And so this is a really good episode to kind of help uh, flesh Toph out a little bit better and to kind of help explain how the team is developing better relationships because obviously it didn't start out very great and we're watching them progress their relationships through this. So it was really enjoyable for the most part. I mean, yeah. And uh, one of the last things I want to touch on for uh, the tales of bossing say is of course, this moment that after they go through the spa day, they have this kind of moment where Toph is kind of moving past her comfort zone and indulging in that kind of feminine side is that her and Katara are walking and Katara, you know, says, for what it's worth, I think you're beautiful. And it's a really, really nice, tender moment. And then we get these, like, you know, mean girls 
like and I say that in reference to the movies because that's like their Literally. archetype <laughs> as they come Literally in. Literally mean girls. And, you know, they throw out this insult about, you know, her makeup and just like everything. And it's, we see for a moment, Toph kind of shaken by this. And then, you know, as Katara is going to like, you know, help step up for her or anything like that, Toph is just like, I got this. And then just drops them in the river. Ugh. <laughs> uh. God, if I had earth bending in high school, man. <laughs> be a lot like, of people afraid of you, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that moment is so, you know, we all felt that in that moment mm, where those girls mm-hmm. picked on Toph and we we knew that even though Toph turned around and laughed, like we all knew that Toph's reaction wasn't her shaking it off. It was the fact that she was affected by it. That's why she reacted. So um, when she does earthbend and open up the bridge and drop those girls in that river with God knows what in it, considering it's a major city. um, (laughs) It (laughs) It is in the upper ring, though. Let's be real. I think a lot of us were cheering for her. Like, we all wish we could have done that to people who have made us feel awful before. So it... It was it was a really great cathartic moment for uh, for anybody who's felt that way before. We saw that we saw that it hurt Toph, and you know I felt two things. I felt cathartic with it, but at the same time I also felt like I need to protect Toph. She doesn't need protecting, but I, I automatically felt the thing where it's like, don't you don't you pick up my Toph? <laughs> like very protective of this character, even though I know she didn't need it, obviously. But it um. Yeah, I, I agree. That was that was a great moment. And then, of course, Katara was icing on the cake as she just pushed him along, like, get out of here. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that brings us to the next two episodes. Uh, kind of brought these together um, is uh, Lake Lao Guy and the Earth King. So what is revealed about her in these two episodes? First off is that we get another uh, kind of glimpse into Toph's power set. Uh, in that she can tell when someone is lying through her tremor sense. Uh, she describes it as being able to kind of uh, tell when their heart rate quickens and is able to kind of tell when people are being dishonest. Um, secondly, is that she cannot stand bureaucratic stonewalling. <laughs> and we see that immediately in the beginning of Lake Lao Guy when they're asking about their meeting with the earth king and judy is just like well i was able to move it forward and now you will be able to see him in a couple of weeks or like a couple months or something like that and toff is just uh so frustrated and she destroys like she blows out a side of their guest house <laughs> I love it so much too. She's like, let's break some rules and just boom, like a quarter of the house is gone. And it's like, wow. I mean, I know, I know that we have those, um, what are those new things now? It's those rooms where you go in with like a mallet and you just like wreck stuff now. Oh yeah. 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 I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Those things like that's, (laughs) I feel like Toph just took that to a whole new level. (laughs) Like she just took out this whole sidewall, like did not care. I was Oh, it was so funny, but yeah, I feel I I have to admit I do feel slightly bad for Judy, obviously because we find out what's going on and everything and why they're like so messed up and everything. But at the same time, I I think we we were all cheering for Toph like the moment she's oh, yeah. like, yeah, let's break some rules. Like we all threw <laughs> our hands up and then she blew out a wall and we were like, whoa, she wasn't kidding. <laughs> 
Well, I feel like it's it's a part that's like reminiscent of like a D and D campaign where it's just like you're trying to you're trying to like figure out like you're trying to get to like a, like a person that's gonna move along the quest, but it's just like, oh, well, uh, looks like you didn't do uh, your uh, this part well enough, and it's just like the barbarian just rages and destroys something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Toph really is the barbarian. Yeah. That that would be her. <laughs> like she wouldn't be a fighter or anything like that. She's just straightforward barbarian, and she doesn't need a hammer because she has her fists. <laughs> She's just gonna wreck everything. Yeah, I I I can I can one hundred percent see that. I approve of this. I definitely want to play a tough barbarian our next campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. So quickly, the gang uh, gets out and about, and uh, they end up meeting up with Jet. Uh, quickly, this leads to some kind of interrogation here. And uh, as they're interrogating him, that's when Toph breaks out this tremor sense. Um, and she is able to detect whether or not he is lying. Uh, as this kind of proceeds, it leads them to getting some clues about this place called Lake Laogai. So they make their way there with Jet smeller b and Longshot, and uh first toff is just like yeah there's a whole thing underneath this lake she stomps and just like there's a secret entrance and it's just like toff you're amazing i love your tremor sense and i love your earth bending so much <laughs> oh yeah like toff is the gateway to everything like anytime the producers are like we need to throw a challenge up but at the same time we need to make sure that they can actually find it it's like oh don't worry they have toff yeah <laughs> Toph will find everything. (laughs) (laughs) And what's really nice, too, about this is that we get the introduction of her power. We see this scene with her uh, kind of uh, determining whether or not Jet is lying. And then it's rounded out in a really nice way at the end of the episode. When Jet is uh, hit by that earthbending attack by Long Fang. And as Longshot and Smellerby are standing over him, he says that he'll be all right. And as they're walking away, Toph says, he's lying. And I love that when you have an introduction to a given power or something like that, it's not just, it wasn't just like, oh, by the way, Toph can do this now. And then like, you know, it'll come up only when it's convenient. I love that it comes up in an emotional moment and not just a, okay, we need to use this to like move the plot forward. It is this deeply resonant moment that we get uh, about what is going to happen to this character, even though, as we hear in Ember Island Players, it was a bit unclear. <laughs> yeah, it was. it's definitely very poignant. I agree. And it's not... It's not often that Toph is the vehicle for those poignant moments. Mm. Um it's usually centered around Aang or Katara since they tend to be a little bit more on the emotional side. Uh, We occasionally get them from Toph and Sokka. uh, And this is definitely one of those big ones from Toph because I think everybody can relate to that moment when she says that he's lying. Like all of us, no matter how mixed your feelings were about Jet and what he did, it's really a heartbreaking moment because you understand he's been through these traumatizing experiences and he's been manipulated and harmed by these people. And it's it's hard to hear that. That was the point. It was meant to be very poignant. And nobody else could have said that. Obviously, Longshot and Smeller B were 
you know, just trying to get them out. Like, we'll take care of him. But, you know, having it come from Toph, I mean, really, who else could have said it? Because unless Katara tried to heal Jet, there would have been nobody else that really knew his condition. So uh, it was definitely a rare moment where Toph got to be the vehicle for that very poignant statement that created, I think, a lot of mixed feelings for a lot of people. Definitely. And then uh, kind of jumping ahead now to the Earth King. Um, I like I have to do this because I, I have to point out this first and foremost, because anytime I think about this, I go back and I watch this scene in its entirety. I think one of my favorite combat sequences in the entirety of Avatar is the storming of the Earth King's palace at the beginning of this episode. It is just such an amazing action sequence because the music is reaching this fever pitch. They got Appa back. The team is back together. They know what they have to do. Long Fang is treacherous. They like the stakes are so high now and they have to get there. And the only thing in their way, well, the only thing is a massive amount of earth kingdom guards. And here is the gang basically non-lethally making their way up to the Earth King's palace. And the earthbending that Toph does in this sequence is just so good. I am just my favorite move that she does is there is a sequence where I believe like Ang, like it's, uh, it's either her and Ang or her and Katara kind of like as they're progressing, she's like sliding up these uh, like pieces of earth that are like sliding up at the slabs. They're rotating in front of her as attacks are coming in. They are blocking and she is like this shield wall as they are making their way forward. And it is just this beautiful animation as she is just like blocking these attacks. I get crinkle tinkles every single time I watch that. I love this sequence so much. What the hell are crinkle tinkles? <laughs> Crinkle tinkles are like oh goosebumps. My God. Oh, that's amazing. I don't think I've ever heard that term, but that's phenomenal. But yes, I, I agree. I, I get goosebumps, which to be fair is, an, is a very strange term as well. I don't know what goosebumps actually are. Uh, but yeah, like uh, internal screaming the entire time I watched that sequence, because you're right. Like the, the music is fast pitched. It's got you going. You're on the edge of your seat. You're watching them go through this and they're working so so fluidly, which of course oh, we haven't yes. really gotten to see at this point. And yeah, Toph and Aang are up in the front. Toph, like you said, is just literally circling these shields up and down as Aang uh, protects them from the sides. And it's, I was, wa- I was literally watching that just before you called me on it. And I was just, you know, it's one of those things where you're just sitting here watching it and you're like, oh, like, it, it reaches me to my soul, like my soul. It is such a beautiful sequence. It's well choreographed. Uh, mad props to the team that really helped pull that scene together because there is nothing else really like it. I do enjoy later in the series, we of course see some other epic battles, but there is something to be said about how beautifully they did this that I don't think up until this point, anything had put me on th- that much of an edge where I was just like at, at the edge of my seat, like, oh my God, oh my God, they're facing like practically an army, just these four kids and a giant bison. They're just going, <laughs> they're charging into the palace and they're just 
like, uh, you know, I don't think any of us saw it coming, how well they suddenly worked together in that moment of need. But we saw at the very end of Lake Laogai, like that really emotional reunion with Appa. I mean, I mm. was bawling like a baby the first time I watched that episode. I mean, all the emotional things that happen, I think, are now coming to a head. You know, at this point, they've been angry and frustrated. And then there was this huge moment of relief and just uh, incredible happiness of Appa and now all this huge culmination of all these major emotions are suddenly coming to a head in this episode and I think that that's what that scene gives us is just like we've been waiting for this we've been anticipating something like this and not only did they meet our expectations they just blew it out of the water Mm, great point it is it is such a great payoff that is exactly what it is ah so good um, so moving on, of course, they're able to, uh, make their way into, uh, the palace. Uh, they prove that Long Fang is treacherous and as they, uh, kind of wrap things out, we get, uh, some of the items that were, of course, uh, intercepted during Long Fang's, uh, campaign to, uh, basically keep information hidden from the Earth King. Uh, we see that Toph has received a note from her father wanting to meet with her and she seems genuinely excited to amend that relationship and uh it's it sets up of course the final two episodes of book two the guru and the crossroads of destiny so these two episodes i think are two of the most legendary out of the entire series because there is oh so much that happens. The stakes are so high. And of course, it is insane because at the end of the day, they lose. And all of that together makes for just such a fantastic finale. Um, especially for like, at that point, a kid show. And I know that for you and me, Kristen, we were there in the thick of it when book two ended and we didn't know when book three was going to be coming out. (laughs) Oh, I can't tell you how much my hands are shaking right now. Like I remember that anxiety so hard. That anxiety scarred me. (laughs) It was really difficult because it was such a huge pivotal moment. And we all, you know, like you said, it's a it's a kid show. But let's face it, it's never been a kid show. Mm. It has childlike elements to it, but this is far from a children's show. It kid shows, like when I go and watch things with my nieces and nephews, they don't make me feel that invested. I don't watch these characters and get really upset when they're having a bad day, when like the octonauts are like having any kind of conflict. I'm not sitting here like bawling my eyes out the way I am for this show. It just you know, what I think of when I think of kid shows is they're not meant to, uh, most kid shows don't typically develop kids emotionally. Mm. They focus very heavily on social skills, on, uh, you know, learning like science and math and reading and stuff. Um, but I will say typically like there are, there have been shows, especially in our childhood, I think where we definitely got, uh, much more emotional. Like there was this golden age, mm. which I, I say with bias as a millennial, <laughs> there was a golden <laughs> age of cartoons from high school to early college 
with things like Hey Arnold and things like that, where we got these very poignant shows with moments that helped us develop better emotionally, I think. And these two episodes in Avatar at the end of season two had some very heavy emotional baggage in them. Uh, while Toph's in particular is not as emotional as everybody else's story, still, she is part of the story. There is a lot of things that I think would have changed if things have got, had gone differently, for sure. But mm. there there's something to be said about her frustration and anger and in her overcoming of that in this, in this series of, of episodes that really resonated with me at the time, because I was going through a particularly difficult time. I was at my senior year of high school. I had a lot of personal and social conflicts happening in my life. And I was just trying to hurry up and get school done and be out of that mess and watching Toph and her determinedness not to let her challenges overcome her and prevent her from doing what she needs to do really spoke to me on an emotional level, which is probably where a lot of my attachment comes to her is I saw her at the right time in my life for mm. her to make a big impact. She may not have been as favorite of a character of mine if I had seen her at different points in my life, but I saw Toph at the right time for her to make a big impact on me and for me to be like, that's who I want to be someday is I want to be that tenacious person who does not let things stand in their way. Uh, who constantly takes advantage of opportunities that help progress what I need for myself and push forward no matter how hard uh, the circumstances are. And these episodes really embody for me what Toph is to me as a person and why she means so much to me because of just how incredible she is, period. Mm. Yeah. And of course, even though we had a drought during that period, they gave us amazing stuff to be able to look back on and expand <laughs> the upon. The chibis. Yes, the chibis, but Chibi also... Uh, but just like so much of what we get to see in these final episodes that gives us so much to theorize and get excited about. And of oh course... God, the conspiracies during the, that time. Uh, but the most important thing that is revealed about Toph during these two episodes is simply one thing. She discovers metal bending. Enough said. <laughs> so, of course, she is first tricked by Jin Fu and Master Yu uh, because this letter was all a ruse. Um, they are, well, she, of course, is immediately trapped in a metal box and they take her away. And we see Toph inside this metal box against her will, being taken away from her friends after a great victory. And that's what makes this episode so great is that they just had such a great win by like exposing Long Fang, finally telling the Earth King about like the war with the Fire Nation. They had so much going for them. And they're like, all right, you know what? Let's just take some R&R. Let's just, let's, let's just do what we need to do. We'll all go off on our side quests here. But then... All those side quests, mm-mm, mm-mm, they, they don't go well. And so Toph has to find a way out. I kind of put in my notes here that she 
I the way that I always saw it is that she learns to metal bend, and it's a sequence of emotions going from fear to focus to determination and then action. What is so beautiful about Toph discovering metal bending is that it is accompanied by this incredible lesson that Guru Patik is sharing with Aang as he is ex- explaining the chakras, as he is kind of giving him this rundown and during one in particular talking about how the greatest illusion is the idea that we are all separate. And this idea that even things such as metal are only parts of earth distilled down and, and like hardened and put into a form. And it's, it's this whole idea is as he's sharing this lesson with Aang, we are seeing these visuals of Toph just trying to earthbend against this metal box and she is taunted by Jin Fu as he says you may think you're the greatest earthbender of all time but even you can't bend metal oh the challenge (laughs) the throw down he threw the gauntlet down yeah I feel like that was like that before maybe she would have been like all right I'll find a way but like there is nothing more that I feel like motivates Toph than just like throwing down the gauntlet like that and insulting her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he definitely, it activates her. Like nothing activates Toph like telling her she can't do something. Mm. Um, I think we all have that to a certain degree. Like there's something that often causes barriers for people. Uh, Like for me, it's typically my anxiety. My anxiety prevents me from doing a lot of things. But if you come up to me and tell me I can't do something because I'm just too anxious for it and I'm not focused enough or I can't, I can't draw up the emotional energy to do it. I will do it out of sheer stubbornness because you have now (laughs) activated me. And it's like, don't you tell me what I can't do. I am very much that person. And so, yeah, as soon as he said that, like instantly I was like, Oh my God, are they going to let her metal bend? Because as soon as that came out of his mouth, I was like, all right, they've got to give it to her now. There's no way she's, backing down from this. Yes. <laughs> and we get this incredible vision as through her tremor sense as she just slams her hands against the metal box, these bits and pieces of earth amidst the metal. And then she just goes for it. And when she punches through the first time in the sheer surprise and joy that she exudes, uh, this is, I think, a great moment to give a big shout out. Uh, we haven't so far yet, and it's kind of a crime that we haven't, but we need to now, especially in this moment, is that for Jesse Flower performing Toph throughout this series and the absolute just enthusiasm and surprise and victory and confidence that exudes from this moment. It is just so wonderful. Oh, yeah, it's just, I, I definitely felt it when she's like, what is it? She punches and she's like, woo, Toph, you rule. And it's yes. just like, oh, my God, girl, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 told, I 100% agree. Like, Jessie Flowers really brought her character to life. And, you know, it'll be weird if by some chance I ever meet her and she's not 
exactly like Toph. She's not this very <laughs> outgoing, outspoken, like stubborn individual. If she's anything but that, I will be so confused to hear Toph's voice <laughs> coming out of this woman's mouth because I'm going to be like, this is the only way I've known you. This is the only person I've known you through is Toph. How can you not be Toph? <laughs> well, to be fair, though, she also voiced, uh, um, I believe it was May, not May, um, Oh God! What's that character's name? The little girl in the fortune teller, uh, who has a oh, crush on the Aang. One that has, oh my God, that girl! Oh my God! I feel awful that I can't remember her name. Mang, Mang, Mang. That's, that's yep. it. Oh my God. Yes. That uh, that makes yeah. total sense. Actually, now that I'm thinking of her voice, that makes perfect <laughs> sense that she played that character. Yeah. So uh, of course, uh, that was uh, I believe her kind of uh like alias name i don't know how exactly that works in terms of names but jesse flower is what she was listed at uh for the credits for that show but she goes uh by michaela murphy these days and she actually has been incredible uh she's like uh, interacted a lot actually with the fans on instagram um she's been really wonderful and then actually our uh, sister podcast, uh, Beyond Bending, Marilyn got to interview her uh, <gasps> several months ago. It was incredible. What? Yeah. <gasps> oh my god. Oh, I would, I would literally just like to chat with her just to hear Toph's voice. Like, I, <laughs> it wouldn't even be an interview. It would just be like, you know what? What do you want to talk about today? Like, just say whatever's on your mind. I just want to hear you speak. Your voice is just so. There's something about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i you know for some people it's just that'll it'll do that for you i think uh i saw a video the other day or actually it was earlier today um let's just be honest days blend together these days <laughs> um but oh my uh, God. it was uh it was uh sir patrick stewart reading a sonnet and apparently he's been reading <gasps> yes! like a bunch of different sonnets this week yes! and it's just like dude i could just i could listen to you just share like uh, shakespeare like all day this is just asmr <laughs> it really is they did something like that a few years back with tom hiddleston like there are just some mm-hmm. people that have you know it's, it's two things it's a quality of voice for sure obviously you know there are some voices that the the natural uh quality and intonation of their voice creates very specific emotions uh especially when we look at uh Mako for Uncle Iroh, like, I can't imagine mm-hmm. anybody else. It's such a soothing, relaxing feel. It's a very warm voice, and especially because he sounded, well, he was older, but he also sounded older. Um, it, it, it creates emotions in people. And then, of course, there's the actual art of voice acting, the ability to convince people that you're feeling a certain way based on the tone of your voice, even if it's not how you actually feel, like any acting is. It's It's creating this picture with your voice that can incite emotions or create connections with people like oh i understand how that person's feeling based on just hearing them it's it's amazing and i absolutely do love the woman who does the acting for toff because she really did that character i mean let's face it i don't think there was bad voice actors in avatar i don't think there was a single person where i heard them and thought god that's an awful voice why did they cast that person like it was all amazing Definitely. So the last thing I want to touch on for the end of this is one of the biggest what ifs. We talked about all of that time between uh, book two and book three uh, that we had to suffer through. I remember one of the biggest things that we had always talked about was that what if Toph 
had been there for the fight at the ruins of old Ba Sing Se? And would she have turned the tides against Azula, Zuko, and the Dai Li? So, I don't know. What what are some of your thoughts? Uh, and kind of like, if she was there for that, and what uh, do you think that it just made more narrative uh, sense for her to not be there? I don't know. What, what, what are some of your thoughts here? If they wanted Aang to lose, like he did, Toph couldn't be there. Toph has taken on all the Dai Li by herself at this point. They're, they're literally has been moments where Toph has taken on the Dai Li in mass. There is no way I can imagine Toph's presence doing anything other than absolutely destroying anybody. I speak from very strong bias, though, but, I mean, even <laughs> back then, I when I defended it, it was always just, we, we know what she's capable of. She is an incredible bender. Azula might have escaped as she normally did, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Azula would have won. Azula's very good at escaping. She's always got backup plans. She's always thinking three steps ahead of everybody. But I think that uh, she could have protected Aang if she had been there. Because if Aang had entered his avatar state, let's face it, Toph is constantly aware of what's going on. She probably would have been able to feel Azula... Because let's face, when Azula and anybody lightning bends, they can't just stick out their finger and lightning bend. They have to draw in that energy. It takes a certain motion to do it. She could have been able to detect that, which is why I think it was important that she wasn't there. Um, it does two things. One, it allows her to do the metal bending because obviously metal bending is a huge barrier at this point for her and the team, especially since that's a lot of what the Fire Nation uses to oppress the Earth Nation is metal, which we saw with Haru and, you know, his village being taken away to the, uh, out to the ocean onto their metal prison. Um, it's used to oppress people. And in order to overcome the oppression of the Fire Nation, they have to be able to take on all elements of what they've been throwing at people for the past hundred years, which includes the metal technology that has basically stopped earthbenders from being able to defend themselves. Mm. So they gave Toph that tool, setting her up for season three by giving her this unique tool. And also they set us up for one of the most heartbreaking moments of the entire series when Azula took Aang down because we were all so sure. Mm. We are like, oh, yes, he opened up his final chakra. Let go of Katara. You don't need her. Open up that, <laughs> open up that chakra. Take down Azula. And let's work on taking back, you know, everybody's freedom and, def- and defeating the Fire Nation in the next, you know, season. Like, everybody was just ready for it. And I think all of us just felt so... I don't want to say let down. It wasn't a let down because... I think it was just shock. Yeah, it was, exactly. Yeah. Absolute shock and trauma. Just like, oh my God, no, this wasn't how it was supposed to happen. What are you guys doing? What have you done? Like, <laughs> I think all of us were just yeah. jaws on the floor when that moment happened. And we could not have gotten that if Toph had been there. I think that it would have been very difficult they would have, if she had been there, they would have had to figure out a way to quickly, like, incapacitate her or something. Because there's no way Toph in fighting condition would have been able to have been stopped from protecting Aang and her friends. I, I mm. wholeheartedly believe that. So, it for me, it makes perfect sense that she wasn't there. Because they could not have progressed the story the way they did if they had. Yep. 
Ah, oh, man. All right. Uh, well, that brings us to the end here. But before we kind of close things out, I want to just get uh, final thoughts from you, Kristen, about kind of where uh, Toph goes on this journey here with the last part of book two um, and what you were most excited about with uh, as we kind of venture into Toph in book three. I will say that earlier when you brought up the guru talking to Aang about the illusion of being separate, it did make me think of that moment where Toph asks if friendships could last lifetimes. Like, I suddenly made a connection between those two things, and I was like, oh, you're never separated. You're always friends. And it it just, my my whole mind went through an emotional roller coaster for about two minutes after you said that. (laughs) Um, As far as looking forward to things, uh, I really... I'm looking forward to a lot because a lot of interesting things happen in book three. And I don't think any of us, like we all knew what the end goal was, but I don't think any of us could have predicted the storytelling of book three because I feel like it is so different. I feel like there was almost like this relief of the people who were writing the story. Like, Oh my God, we actually get to finish this. Like (laughs) we get to tell the story and what we get out of the third season, I felt like was so unexpected not saying that I can necessarily predict everything that was happening in the first two seasons, but as the story was being told, I was like, okay, yeah, I got this. I get, I get where we're going with this. Cool. Cool. Uh, I didn't know what to expect by book three because of one, what had happened at the end of book two that put us all in shock. Uh, and three, you know, in three, we, we see a lot of struggle where, especially Aang, too, asking himself a lot of very strong moral questions and the way we see how the Fire Nation behaves. It, it's it's a really fascinating season because it is so very unlike the first two seasons. We're pulling back the curtain on the Fire Nation and we're finally seeing what it's like there. It's completely different from the first two books in the sense of the atmosphere because while there is still the foreboding of Sozin's Comet hanging over their head, uh, there's a lot more lightheartedness in it than I expected as they try to help people. And Toph in particular has some very interesting encounters that really help her out as a character too. Because while, as we've said, we've seen her really progressing up until this point where she's becoming uh, much better as a person, being more considerate and thoughtful of others and working better with the team... We, we see in that next season that that's not always necessarily the case, that she's not, she's still pretty stubborn about the way she is and the way she wants to be, and it does come into conflict. And so it's, for me, it's a fascinating season because, again, I didn't expect any of it, and it really does help enrich the characters a lot. I figured at this point, we had told a lot of the story, we knew who the characters were, there Mm. wasn't a whole lot more to come, and then they were just like, really? You think that? Here, lore dump. And just, you know, (laughs) it's it's amazing. I I really enjoyed season three a lot and what it gave us for the story. Um, I know that there are a lot of emotions about how the series ended, but the 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 final season I felt was a really enjoyable one because we finally peel back the layers of mystery of the Fire Nation and we also get to peel back layers on our characters too and Toph is no different we get a lot of really great material out of her and her character and I am super stoked yes cannot agree more uh I I am so excited to uh 
dive into this uh, next kind of part with Toph. And uh, Chris and I were talking at the end of last episode uh, after we kind of went off the air about how we want to approach things uh, kind of going into this next phase a little bit differently. We're going to be talking instead of more just kind of chronologically episode by episode, more about kind of the uh, Toph's relationships with different characters, uh, where they are at at this kind of point in the season, uh, how things change and what she kind of, uh, you know, what kind of uh, role she serves as a character in this cast going into book three. And a lot of the uh, kind of emotional weight and changes that she goes through uh, in book three as well. So uh, we're definitely going to switch things up a little bit, but uh, still be talking tough uh, next week. And uh, it's all going to be good. But guys, thank you so much for listening this week. And Kristen, thank you so much again for joining me for part two and all your wonderful insights. You know, I'm good for it. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening in again. uh, Really appreciate your support. Uh, Remember, you can uh, always find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Legend of Portalcast on Twitter at PortalCastPod, our website at legendofportalcast.com. Also, just a reminder, be sure to vote in our uh, cross-podcast kind of March Madness bracket tourney that we're doing right now uh, that's basically an avatar character uh, kind of bracket. So you go in, we've got a link in our Instagram bio, and we've also got it posted on our Twitter. Uh, go check that out, vote for characters. Uh, we're going to be doing some really fun discussion uh, with um, the folks at the Arrow um, and uh, Tony and Chandler. And then we're also going to be uh, bringing in Marilyn if we can. Uh, she is really busy right now with her work uh, because of the virus. Um, so uh, folks, also, if you can, send out some good vibes her way um, because uh, she's really uh, doing a lot of work right now and is uh, it's, it is tough. Uh, obviously, we want to keep things light and we all want to keep content going. Um, and some of us can do that. Others cannot. Um, and if any of our listeners are working in the field of medicine, and you are out there on the front lines or you're working in retail or grocery stores, thank you so much for what you are doing right now. You are seriously the the heroes of this honest war that is happening against this virus right now. And uh, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for what you are doing and so much love out to all of you guys. rest of you guys stay healthy, um, stay informed, uh, much love to all of you. And remember, uh, reach out to folks. Um, if you need help and if you need to chat, reach out and stay in touch, but until next time. And then when we are back with another round of Toph Bay Fon, let us leave.